the Parshas Kisisa. Um, you know, one of the challenges of, uh, of uh, reading the Chomesh, the text, is because it's out of order somewhat. Uh, it is not chronologically uh, organized. And you have to, uh, you know, be able to figure out how to place it and where to place it. And of course, there's always different opinions. So, you know, so there's various different opinions. You know, one says it was like that, and that, so it's not like one absolute that everybody goes by. But what I try to do is I try to study Rashi's commentary, which is mostly literal, which means he gives you the closest to the literal text, to the meaning of the words, and based on that, you know, in his interpretation, that's what we study, we study by Rashi. Rashi is also considered not just another commentary, he is like the commentary, he is the most, uh, you know, accepted, renowned, I guess from the commentaries on the, directly on the Bible, on the Chumash. And what it is, is that the, uh, some of the other commentaries take him to issue, you know, take him to task. You know, they challenge him, they question him, and they answer. Some argue with him, some defend him, and, you know, goes back and forth. And, you know, and uh, that's how we have Now, of course, there are various different Talmudic interpretations. There is always Midrashic ter- interpretations. And, you know, the Torah is no end. You know, any, anybody can come up with an insight of Torah as long as it's done according to the rules of the Torah then it's acceptable and it is actually part of the tradition that has been passed down from Moses to all today to us so one of the opening uh, uh, ways of the subject matters in the Chumash always opens up with the verse by Daber Hashem El Moshe Lemor which basically is translated God speaks to Moshe for him, Lamar, to go and tell the Jewish people. So, when exactly, by which subject, how many times, I mean, this is, I'm sure it's been done, it's been worked through. I haven't worked that through yet, and I can't tell you right offhand now. But every time, mostly when there's a new, a new kind of an instruction, the Torah will say, begin, so as we begin this week. So why don't we begin with the, with the verse that, uh, Warren, you want to start? God's, <coughs> God's, God spoke to Moshe saying What does it mean, again, what does it mean he spoke to Moshe saying What does saying mean? Okay, no problem Saying means to go ahead and say She spoke to him saying that he should go ahead Tell it to the Jewish people So Hashem speaks to Moshe saying Now, again, the first question that we want to ask ourselves and that's going to be basically our main discussion today that we're going to focus on is when did God speak to Moshe saying I'm going to try to put into perspective a little bit you know when these things when did it happen again this is Rashi's view of it this is Rashi's commentary but there is also other commentaries that have a different view other than Rashi does, okay? So this is Rashi's comment that we're going to learn. When, when did this happen? Now, in the previous sections, we discussed about the gifts for the temple, 
the various things that we, we discussed about the construction of the temple we discussed about the uh, construction the, the constructions of the vessels that they used in the temple we talked about it a little bit last week in our class about the different vessels they had inside the temple we also discussed last week we discussed mainly about the uh, garments that were worn by the priests and the high priest the special construction how they were made and in, in great detail we also discussed last week about how God made the Kohanim into uh, the priests because they were, of course, when you construct the temple, you have to have people that serve in the temple. You have to have people that work in the temple. So there were the priest and the high priest. And at that time, there was only a few of them because it was basically Aaron, his brother, plus his four sons, uh, 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 and we're going to read that matter of fact that died shortly thereafter they didn't last through very long they died very shortly so there was really only three Kohanim left to do it until their families uh, grew and then there were more Kohanim uh, more, more priests starting from that point but the Torah tells you what the procedures of the um, of the how they became priests, how they what they needed to do, the special sacrifices and the garments that they did, that they wore, and the anointing oil and the sprinkling, and how they became holy, how they became priests, and then and that was only a one-time thing. From that time on, their children just follow, you know. But they had to be made at that particular point, and then we also talked about. What, ha- what took place on a daily basis on the Mizbeach, on the altar the different sacrifice, two sacrifices mainly, and that's why we have the morning and the evening prayers corresponding to the morning and afternoon prayers, Shachras and Mincha correspond to the two sacrifices that they brought in the time of the temple but, but what does Mariv correspond to? Great, great question oh, Mariv initially when I say initially, because it's different a little bit now Initially, Mariv was only a voluntary service because the two services were mainly the morning and the afternoon corresponding to the two korbanot and Mariv was only a, an optional the reason they had the optional services is because the day began, uh, the sacrifice in the temple there were various different sacrifices but there were two regulars that took place every day one in the morning, there was a uh, 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 the morning, a bull in the morning and a bull in the afternoon that was brought an offering every single day, okay? So that was done on a daily basis. One in the morning, one in the afternoon. It started off with the with the parben bakar, with the with the bull of the morning, and then ended up with the bull of the afternoon. That's it was the be, beginning. That's the morning sacrifice and the afternoon sacrifice on a daily basis. Now what happened was that the uh, at the night time they still had the leftover from the other sacrifices, there could be several different other sacrifices people, there's some sacrifices that people bring when they did a sin accidentally there is sacrifices a person who became a nazir, a nazir meaning he let his hair grow special, there is a woman that gives birth that gives another, uh, a carbon, there's many many different types of sacrifices they were all sandwiched in between in between these two sacrifices but they needed sometimes time to burn on top of the altar it wasn't enough uh, time for them during the daytime so Mariv sort of corresponded against the Emurim against the 
these fats that were brought later on in the in the evening. So they had the mariv. But nowadays, but nowadays, then afterwards, mariv was actually instituted. Uh, mariv was actually instituted more as mandatory, more as obligatory, more than it was in the in in, in the beginning. And that's why I good evening. And that's why we had today. Marv is more also became more a little bit more more obligatory than it was in the beginning. Also, it, there's another reason because it says that Abraham instituted the morning prayer, Isaac instituted the afternoon prayer, and Jacob instituted the evening prayer. So, corresponding to all these different prayers, uh, is we have do we have the different uh, the different prayers? So, there is additional reasons besides the. The, 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 the sacrifices and then finally we had in the end of the of the parsha of last week we had about the incense uh, that they would bring every day there was a special uh, altar that was in time that was a smaller altar not like the big one that stood in the courtyard but a smaller one that was placed inside the tent of meeting that means inside the covered uh, tent and that was a small one a smaller one and when Aaron would come and light the menorah at the evening, and then again in the morning when he would come and he would clean out from the ashes of the night before, after it burned, he would always put on incense onto the uh, the mizbeach, on the katoris. He would put on the altar, and that altar, and they would burn incense. And we have a, we're going to learn later on special... Uh, uh, prescription, how that was made, how it was mixed, and all the spices and how they were done. It's a very, very particular, very precise way. One is not actually permitted to imitate and make the exact quantities with the exact same spices. is actually a prohibition because that was only specially designed for the temple, for the for the Mishka. But that was all that was discussed in the previous portion. Now, so these two portions of Teruma and Tetzaveh that we learned they followed if you recall they followed the story of the given of the Torah we read we read at the end of the portion of Mishpatim over there the Torah tells us that was the Sedra that's the section the portion that is prior to this Teruma and Tetzaveh that we just learned uh, over there the Torah talks about how Moses went uh, it talks about after the whole story of the giving of the Torah of the how God uh, came down and descended on Mount Sinai and with all the whole family everything that took place and Moses went up but it ends up over there with God saying to Moses come up to me and stay with me for 40 days and for 40 nights now then we read about what I told you about the construction of the Mishkan about the construction of the uh, of the vessels, about the garments of the Kohen, about the, the the sacrifices they bring in the temple, all about the temple. Now, later on, in this section that we're studying today, we're going to be studying about this, the sin, the sin of the Jewish people, which is the sin of the golden calf. That is going to be later on, uh, going to be talked about in this section. Now, the golden calf took place. We're not going to get to it really today. It's a little bit later on. But it talks about the sin of the golden calf. The sin of the golden calf took place 
after Moses said, I'm going to be back after 40 days, he was joined with God on Mount Sinai. God was talking to him, was teaching him all the Torah. He was giving him the, the tablets. God gave him the tablets. Moses told him he will be down. Uh, and the Jews miscalculated when Moses was coming back. And the fact that Moses was delayed... The Jewish people believed, or some of them anyways, those who instigated, they believed that Moses was gone on the mountain. You know, they didn't hear from Moses for 40 days and 40 nights. I told them to be away for 40 days. But according to their calculation, the 40 days were up. The problem was, it's supposed to be 40 full days, which means day and a night. It was the 40th day, but it wasn't 40 full days. So therefore, they miscalculated. But as soon, I mean, the Jews were rebels, and as soon as Moses didn't come down, the Jewish people said, we need another leader. And they persisted against Aaron, and they forced basically Aaron to make for them a golden calf, to make for them, create for them. And they made it into a, into a god. And, you know, and Aaron also, you know, they killed, actually, they killed the son of Miriam. Hur was the son of Miriam because he stood up against them. He didn't want to allow them. And Aaron saw that, and he knew Actually, it's, it's said in the Talmud that Aaron was worried that the Jews will never be forgiven, you know, because uh, it's one thing if they, um, you know, if they kill a prophet and a coin, uh, you know, he was worried, so he figured he'd go along with them and try to delay it as much as possible. Unfortunately, you know, uh, because... God allows people to want to make an error, and He allowed them to make that error, and they did successfully build and they worshipped the idols. So when Moses came down and he saw this, he took the two tablets which God has given him for the 40 days to bring down the Ten Commandments that God has spoken to them and then to Moses. He inscribed it himself onto the tablets. So uh, Moses, when he saw, when he was coming down from the mountain, and actually God said to him, Go, descend from the mountain, because the nation that you have taken out of Egypt, and Rashi points out over there also, God was saying, your nation, because uh, some of the people that Moses took along were unscrupulous. They weren't really serious about their uh, Judaism. They were actually not from Jewish origin, but they sort of joined the Jewish people. But some of them were actually, at the end, causing hardship because they didn't really accept it. They really wanted their old pagan ways. They wanted to go back to their Egyptian heritage. And God actually says to him, take your your people, sort of, the ones that you accepted on your own, and they have corrupted, and they have made themselves a golden, uh, you know, a golden idol, uh, you know. And when Moses saw that, he breaks the tablets, and then there's a whole process of you know of uh, the penalties that the the tribe of Levi worked together with Moshe with Moses. A lot of them were punished, sentenced to death. Some of them were sentenced by the sword. Some of them were by uh, plague. Uh, the whole story, as the Torah tells it to us, what took place. But I don't want to go into all of that because I want to concentrate today more on the beginning of the portion. But I just want to put this into perspective. But what happened after that? Moses says to the Jewish people, he says, I'm going to go up again to God, and I'm going to pray to God, and I'm going to see if God will be willing to forgive you. Try. He goes up for another 40 days, and he spends there on the mountain with God, praying to God to forgive the Jewish people. And then God finally tells him after 40 days, he says, come up here again, 
and I will give you a second set of tablets. A second set of tablets. Okay? Uh, this time it was uh, for Moses. Moses is the one that brought the tablets. And God said, I will engrave uh, those words that I... Uh, I will write on the tablets what those words that I wrote on the first tablets. So Moses was up there for 40 days again on the mountain with God. Finally, on the 40th day, God said to Moses, Solachti Kidvarecha, I have forgiven as you have requested. That was basically 120 days, with just a day in between, when he went down in between the mountain that Moses, Moses spent on the mountain, just with short, more very short time that he came down in the middle. 120 days? It came 40, 40, and 40. 40 days the first time. Then he went up again for another 40 days. And then, so that's 80 days. And then finally went up for another 40 days. So that's 120 days. If you calculate, and you'll see from uh, the time of the Torah given, that final day when Moses descended was a Yom Kippur. Was a Yom Kippur. That was a Yom Kippur. That's why actually it was established as the Day of Atonement that God made the 10th day of Yom Kippur, because that was the day that the Jews were atoned for the sin of the golden calf the very first time around. Um, and that's why Hashem said to him, Solachti Kedvarecha, I have forgiven as you have asked. As evidence of God's forgiveness to them, according to Rashi, it seems, like according to Rashi, in one commentary in Rashi, the way it seems in the simple text of Rashi, uh, that was the point where God told them, I'm going to build a sanctuary for you amongst you. To show them, the sanctuary was basically a, uh, uh, a sign, and it was a proof that God rests, God does rest amongst the Jewish people. And that God will, uh, uh, you know, has really forgiven them. So it seems that after God says to them, Salachti Kidvarech, I've forgiven you, that is when God is telling them about the instruction, telling Moshe about the instructions to build the Mishkan. Because it's only after God has forgiven them that He wants them to make this sanctuary, this tabernacle, that they should create this place for God's dwelling place. And it's only after that, the next day when Moses comes down, Moses gathers the Jewish people as we're going to read later on, and he tells them about God's command. That takes place the day after Yom Kippur. So the Jews were busy contributing, starting from the day after Yom Kippur. The Jews were busy contributing to the, uh, to the temple. And they made all these different contributions that they gave that were specified in the portion of Truma. And they built the Mishkan, they built all these wonderful things. It took them several months to construct and to build all this together. So that finally, on the first day of Nisan, that is almost a year to date from when they they left Egypt. Because they left Egypt at the 15th day of Nisan. This was 15 days earlier, which means 11 and a half months after, 11 and a half months after. 
they finally constructed the Mishkan on the first day of Nisan they constructed the Mishkan the tabernacle and the Mishkan stood up at that point on now to construct the Mishkan there were various different kinds of contribution that took place as I mentioned before some contributions they needed they used to build the planks of the Mishkan some contributions they used to build the covers for the Mishkan some contributions they used for the uh, inside vessels of the Mishkan some contributions they used for the garments of the coin Godel all the contributions they built is to build the place to, to build the whole tabernacle generally speaking people can bring as much as they were benevolent as much as they wanted to give a wealthy person can give more a poor person can give less everybody gave as much as they wanted there was no set amount matter of fact they brought so much that it was too much and they told them to stop bringing anymore no more there was too much to for the needs of the Mishkan they couldn't use the rest of it there was too much for them so he told them to stop bringing now um, that was the general gift but then there was also two specific other gifts that were brought for the Mishkan but more specifically I want to talk about this gift that was born to the Mishkan we learn later on that the uh, that the Jews uh, that from the silver that they brought he counts out how all the money that they took in how it was spent there is a an accounting of the money given in the Chumash in Parshas Pikude there is an accounting for the money that they brought in so the Pasik says over there there is a verse that states the silver that came from the counting of the people what does it mean the silver that came from the counting of the people so as we will learn in today we're going to learn in a minute that in addition to everyone giving as much as they wanted there was a mandatory gift that all the males who were 20 years and up had to give a half a shekel kind of a tax and kind of a people who go to war from the age of 20 only those who go to war and that's why it's only males and it's only from 20 years and up because under 20 years they don't go to war so those who go to war they're considered the anashim, the men the men, those who are uh, uh, holding up, that's the age now of course during the years in the desert they didn't have besides Amalek over there, besides the wars that they fought later on after the 40 years but we don't have any record of too many wars that took place in the middle of the 38 years that we that the Torah doesn't write about we didn't have, so they didn't actually go out to war but men of war stature are considered once they once they are 20 years old so they had all the men that were 20 years old they had them counted they had them counted and the reason why they had them counted as we're going to see is because after the plague of the uh, golden calf uh, after the plague the um, um, Hashem made a plague a lot of them was lost 
And despite the fact that God was angry at them and God punished them, but still the Jewish people as a whole were dear to God. And Rashi gives an example. It's like a person, a plague happened to his sheep. Once the plague is over, he wants to know how many are left over. So, basically, God wants to count them after the plague of the golden calf, which happened, like I said, after the 40 days. So, God told, said, how should you count them? Not just by counting them. You should count them by each person of these 20 years and up should give a half a shekel, and then we count the half shekels, and then we see how many people there are. So that there is the number of half shekels that you have, then you will know the count, how many people there are from 20 years and up. Once they're counted, then you'll know how many people have we counted those people. What did we use? I'm sorry, yeah? But what about women and children? They weren't counted because only those who went out to war, that who technically went out to war, were counted. Now, what did they do with those half shekels that they brought in? They used that to construct the sockets for the Mishkan. That's the accounting that we learned in the Pekude, in the end of the Chumash, of the end in the two, two weeks portion. They used those sockets, those silver they used for the sockets that they used for the Mishkan. Plus they had other kasev that they used for other stuff. But that was specifically that they counted the kasev Pekude Ha'eda, the silver that came from the counting. Now, this is the combination that we're going to learn today. We're going to learn this parsha talks about this counting that they did. It talks, this is, so the strange thing is, this first section over here that we're going to learn now is actually happening after the second section. Because this is actually an atonement. This half a shekel is actually an atonement for the sin that they're going to be doing, that we're going to be studying in the second section, right after the section. As soon as we're done with this section about uh, constructing the Mishkan, in Shani, which is the second section which we studied yesterday on Monday, technically, over there we read always, right away about the tremendous error the Jewish people did by the, the failure that they had. And then God tells Moshe, Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, what happened to Golden Cup? It was made they burnt it, and later they, they they grinded it up, they destroyed it. We're going to learn later on. So they didn't use that gold? They actually, no. What they did is they gave the people to drink. They grinded it into the water, people drank it, and they and they died. Those who drank from the water died. Those who were punished through there was another way. But that's later on. That's in the story later on in the Chumash. And why people changed their mind? Uh, like, uh, first they resented and uh, made the golden cup and then 40 days later for whatever reason they, they are on board with this well, not, well that's a very good question but not only not only not only were they on board I think I'm going to lower the heat a little bit yeah? I'm ready to no, I'm, I'm good. no I'm good okay so um, no that's a, that, that's a that's a very good question the the the, the reason the simple reason giving Moshe had the un, in the very simple text, Moshe had the undivided respect from everybody because Moshe was with them. He led them out of Egypt and and 
the minute Moshe came back, there was no second guessing anymore. Moshe I really got them right back into shape, I guess. Uh, it was when Moshe was away, you know, when the cat's away, the mice play, you know. I mean, it was Moshe's absence that caused and many other. We'll hear Ron, Ron what did the commentary say? About what? Well, why, why would that yeah, how they changed. Is that, that they probably connected to that, right? Yeah, it's simple. Yeah, because and it's simple because it was Moshe was missing. Because he was the leader, and then it's the whole thing that they thought that they lost their leader. They saw they lost leaders. They needed some sort of leader, so they wanted to have something But then place. he went up for a second time for another 40 days. Yeah, then they got Then they had it figured out. Uh-huh. They're ready, yeah. They knew how to count by then. Yeah, no, or by then they saw that it was real. I mean, they, they're questioning, you know. It's, it's very hard for us to judge because generally we can't judge. But here you have a whole people out there in the desert with one leader and everybody, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's amazing even that they followed. You know, the guy that was yeah. in Lebanon all these years and taking him out of Egypt was gone. Yeah. And they didn't really have another leader because Aaron, I guess, wasn't of that nature. Really. Now, so... This is taking place that we're reading now. God is basically telling them that when they're going to count it, God is telling them to count it with a half a shekel. And this half a shekel is, was given for the service of the Oel Moed. That's the simple text. There's also a hint for another half a shekel which the Jewish people gave. And this is here where there's a little bit of a confusing part, but I will talk about it as we go on a little bit. There's another half a shekel which all the people gave that took place a little bit in a later time uh, the other half a shekel they used uh, to buy the sacrifices the communal sacrifices that we talked about so they bought it from the other half a shekel that each one gave uh, which each one participated alright so all right, So why don't we read why don't you do another verse uh, Warren yeah the second, no, second, yeah, second, second verse it's verse 12, I think. <clears throat> when you wish to take the sum of the children of Israel to determine their number, the numbers count them by letting them, letting each man give to God an atonement for his soul, avoiding counting them directly, then there will be no plague among them when they are accounted. Okay, stop for a second. So what, what, what is he telling you? That in order that there should be no plague then you must not count them directly. Now you know when we count like for a minion, and you want to make sure like there's 10 people for 10 men for a minion, so that you don't say 1, 2, 3. They usually use a verse which has 10 letters. So like you say, Just so that you make sure because you don't want to count. You don't want to count. There's a story actually in the Nach, in, in by uh, a story that they counted the Jews by 1, 2, 3, and there was a plague. You're not permitted to count people one, two, three. Why? When you count something, there is an eye in horror. Now people say there's an evil eye. Because when you, uh, some people say this is superstition. But there is uh, to it, there's a lot to it. And the Torah doesn't allow to count people. Usually, when you count something, some, uh, when you count an individual, when you count somebody, you're sort of standing out, you know, you bring the number, you're, 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 you're almost bringing the envy, or you're almost bringing, especially when there's a large number, when you bring it, so you bring out the, maybe the jealousy of the other people, or the others, it draws attention, you know, it draws attention to the individual, everybody is counted over there. So, therefore, counting is not a, uh, something that we do directly. 
But when you want to know their number, and in this case, God wanted to know the number. Why did God want to know the number? As I said, because they were plagued. So God is telling basically to Moshe Rabbeinu, if you're going to want to know the number, because after the plague, God's asking him. Actually, God wants him to count. Rashi says it's like a shepherd that wants him to count. So Rashi says, when you want to count them, because I'm telling you to count them, and you wish to count them, don't count them one, two, three. But count them by the half a shekels. Okay? Each one should contribute a half a shekel. And then you will count the shekels. And then you will know how many people there are. Okay? Now, he says there shall be no plague in them. But the Torah also says there should be an atonement for their soul. What does it mean, an atonement? What do they need to atone for? Atone from the plague. Because counting in essence is something which has with itself something bad, which has with itself the evil eye. So we're replacing it that we're counting the actual that we're counting the actual shekels, but we're not count, but but we're not counting the actual uh, we're not counting the actual uh, people, but we're counting the shekels. But still, there is a an atonement needed for the counting. Even I guess even through shekels, it needs to be counted. So that's why he tells you that each one should give an atonement for himself, that half a shekel that is given. Because otherwise, maybe why don't you just give, everybody should give a toothpick. Or, you know, count the toothpicks. If you're trying to just accomplish, to not count the people, but to count the two, let's find out. Let each one give a piece of paper and then count the papers. No. You have to give a half a shekel. You have to give to tzedakah. You have to give for charity. You have to give for the adonim, for the sockets of the mishkan. The foundation of the mishkan has to be built. Everybody equal. Everybody has to give to that standing of the mishkan. Everybody has to give. We are all partners in it. So each one has to give the same amount and the same half a shekel. There is that part in us which we are all the same. And therefore, the Torah says... You have to give an atonement. So you have to give something. Right? What do you give? Did they have money? Oh, the Jews were, were wealthy, everybody. They came from Egypt. So all the spoil. Yes, there was no problem. Yeah, there was a lot of, but you know what? But there was also rich and poor. The Torah says to them, rich and poor. But there were also uh, everything rel- relative. There were people that were more wealthier than the others. It wasn't everybody the same. So the Torah says, when you wish to count them, because I'm telling you to count them, so then you should take, each one should give... But I still don't get so right? Give us slaves in Egypt. How come they were rich slaves? They took money out of Egypt. When they left okay. Egypt, they took... Those, yeah, we missed a few parshas. Oh, okay. They were... And then by the splitting of the sea, oh, okay. they got all the spoil. They were very, very wealthy at the end. Okay. It says that every Jewish person had 80 donkeys laden with the, uh, with the gold and the silver, all the good stuff from the Egypt. So it was... They had uh, plenty of stuff over there. Some had more and some had less. There were yeah, were some more. Yeah, it says that Moshe couldn't pull them away from after the Moshe had to force them sort of away from the sea. They were collecting more and more. It's like you know when Mashiach comes now, you have to tell people tear them away from the from the money. You know they're collecting more and more. They won't. They don't want to follow Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, now let's do the next verse. Esther, do the next verse, verse thirteen. Oh, okay. Um, this is what they should give. Everyone who goes through the counting system, half a shekel according to the shekel 
measurement system which is used for sacrificed items as follows. 20 geras equals one shekel. The contribution to God should be half a shekel. Half a shekel. Okay, now, so how does the verse begin? What are the first words of the verse? verse? This, this. What does it mean when you say something, this you shall give? What is the meaning when you say, this you shall give? Giving an example. You're showing something. So it means that God is saying him, this, zeh. Look, this they shall give. Now what does it mean, this they shall give? Rashi in his commentary says that God showed Moses a coin made out of fire. And it showed him the weight of the coin. It almost seems in Rashi that it was something very difficult to figure out. Uh, uh, the weight of a half a shekel, which seems a little strange. But in the in the Talmud and in the commentators, in the commentaries it's explained that Moshe was baffled by something else. They say, Moshe was baffled by something else. Moshe was surprised. God says, this is what they shall give for atonement for their souls. So they're atoning themselves. What are they giving for atonement of the souls? How much? Half a shekel. Twenty. Twenty. Half a shekel. How many gators are they giving? Twenty. No. Say read again. No, it'll be ten. 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 Half a shekel. A shekel is twenty gera. Oh. What is a gera? You know what a gera? It's one shekel. I'm going to remind you something. In in yeah, but that's an agura. You know they have an agura. Agura is the same thing of a gear, the same lotion. It's like a penny, but it's a silver agura. An agura, an agura is five. Five agurot are in a zuz, in a golden zuz, and there's four zuz that make up a shekel. So there is twenty. Later on, they added. They made it six, but initially there was five silver agurot in a zuz. And a zoos, four zoos made up a shekel. So they were supposed to give two zoos or ten agorot. The ten gera is the ten agorot. Those are ten small pieces of silver, which ten of them equal a half a shekel. Twenty of them equal a shekel. So how much did they have to give to atone for themselves? So not to play, how much did they have to give? Ten. Half a shekel. A ten gera, right? A half a shekel. Now, one would expect, you know, if you're looking for atonement, I have a shekel, even in those days, you know, by today, even before the devaluation and the economy in Israel, you know, the half a shekel wasn't really all that much. Now, you would expect that a, a person would give a contribution. It should be a meaningful contribution, something that is powerful, right? So, Moshe Rabbeinu was surprised. And Moshe Rabbeinu said... How could you atone yourself with giving a half a shekel? Seems pretty easy, you know. I mean, uh, too too simple, too easy to achieve a atonement. And therefore, God showed him a coin of fire. What does it mean? The coin of fire represents. It's not so much the quantity, but it's by the fire that's behind the money. It's not the silver, but it's rather the fire. It's the enthusiasm. It's the meaning. And that is explained what God showed Moshe Rabbeinu uh, to explain to him how could they be atoned with a half a shekel? It's not just the shekel, it's what's behind the shekel. Yes, even a half a shekel when it's done with fire, when it's done with ash, 
when it's done, it doesn't have to be a lot. That's the inner part of the soul you can really connect. And that is also the message. Why a half a shekel? Okay, come on, give a shekel already, you know. I mean, if, you, if we're talking already, let's give a shekel. Why make it into, why break it? You know, why, why use halves, you know? Why don't you use holes? Even the way the Torah says it, the Torah could have said, give ten gera. Each gera hole. The Torah says, no, no. Give a half a shekel, which is ten gera. Why a half a shekel, then why not? It's a very important message. The message is that whenever we give, we have to feel ourselves like halves. That's part of it. We should never feel that we can be do it alone. We should include the other person. I'm just a half, the other person is the other half. I'm just a half, God is the other half. We are only a half, we're never whole. A whole person means a person who is satisfied with himself and is sort of arrogant and becomes uh, uh, a sense of, uh, of uh, haughtiness and things like that. He has a hard time atoning, has a hard time giving a fire. A half a shekel means to feel that you are not yet it, that there is, that you allow God in, that you are becoming a part, you're just saying that you're a half. I once heard that there was a person who became close to Judaism, and he he started observing more and more, and then he became like very Hasidic already, he became like very, very close. In so one time he walked by the Rebbe, you know, uh, uh, and he sort of in a uh, joking way uh, he says to the Rebbe he says Rebbe in Yiddish he says I'm already a whole chassid you know that he meant to say that he's like a whole he acts like a chassid he dresses like a chassid he behaves like a chassid that he became a chassid and the Rebbe stopped him and the Rebbe says that's a contradiction right in this it's a paradox he says, a chosid is nishkum ganser. A ganser is nishkum chosid. If you're a chosid, a real, a righteous, a person, then you're not whole. You don't feel yourself that you're whole. If you're whole, then you're not a chosid. Somebody has to be a half. You have to be broken. You have to have a broken part of it. You know, there is like an expression from the Kotzker, who was one of the Hasidic masters, who was very sharp. He had short sayings, very sharp, many of them. He would say there is nothing more whole than a broken heart. <laughs> a broken heart is the real wholesomeness, you know. If you're a machetzis, then you're whole. Your wholesomeness you get out of being a half, not be, being a whole. So this is the this is the idea over here of these uh, of the machetzis hashekel. Okay, we'll go on. It's also uh, why the women weren't counted because they're supposed to be married to the men. That's why they so each so, one. So it's to be the whole day. Yeah, uh, but let me ask you, what about those who are married to one more, more than one wife? <laughs> they allow they still, the, the, What? The, oh, those they, they don't allow to. No, I don't know. It doesn't. Uh, if you look at the at the tribes, even the tribes, and <laughs> don't you know it's you know they married their sisters, and then there was other women there, and you know we you know you see. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, I mean, they... Well, they Isaac didn't. Isaac didn't, yeah, but okay, but... Well, the military thing sounds more... Like what? The, the, those who are uh, able to fight sounds more like it. Yeah. That's, that's who... Yeah, that's, that's, what, yeah, that's what Rashi says. says. Yeah, that was the that was the criteria over there. Okay, Marina, why don't you do 
verse uh, 14. Everyone who goes through the counting system from the age of 20 years and upwards should give a contribution to God. And as we said before, 20 years, that means that's when he's counted, that's when he goes out to war. Not that there were any wars over there that we know right now, but that would be the age, and that's why uh, they're, the, uh, they're, they're counted. I just thought of something else. The, the women didn't give the... And their goal to the golden cap. Right, that's true too. So if this is an atonement for the golden cap. Maybe that's why they didn't have to. That's one way. Okay. Out. Yeah. That that that's first of all, that's absolutely true. But there is two parts to it. Um, um, it's an atonement, but then there was another gift also, which relates also to the sacrifice. They said there was another one they gave later on. Uh, which let me talk about in a minute because we finished. Let's just learn. Let's just do one more verse. Of, let me just do uh, the one more verse over here. Ha'ashir lo yarbe. That's 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 a very good uh, observation. Yes. The rich should give no more, and the poor should give no less than half of a shekel when giving the offering to God to atone for your soul. Okay, so interesting. But now you see something interesting that he says the rich should give no more and the poor should give no less. Now, wait a minute. If we're counting them, if everybody gave <laughs> whatever they wanted, I mean, how are you going to count them then? You're not, you're not, you're not, I mean, the purpose here is an atonement, yes, but it's also an atonement. And, uh, you know, in... in there's two, two, two things of atonements. I just want to address a little bit what Esther said. There is, um, in the simple thing, when we say an atonement, mm-hmm. there's atonement against for counting. So that the counting itself requires an atonement. Not for, even for the sin of the golden calf. Just for an atonement for the counting. In the simple text over here, or in the first, in the simple text, this atonement is not for the golden calf. The general structure of the Mishkan was done to give it for the golden calf as a, uh, uh, as a sign that God dwells upon them and their contributions were accepted for men and women for everybody equally. This half a shekel that they gave for the uh, sockets is not specifically over here uh, used as an atonement. More the other uh, one was used as atonement for, uh, for the golden calf. Um, as as we'll learn later on, in the next in the next verse, but um, but this atonement is just for the actual counting. But let, let me let me talk for a minute about because we're running out of time. But I want to talk for a minute about this other counting that took place, and also to try to see what took place over here. Um, in addition to this, so we talked about after Yom Kippur. At the end of when Hashem says to Moshe, "I forgive like I, I forgive like you requested," God tells them to build the Mishkan. He tells them to go ahead and and, and, and bring the half shekels. And okay, the Jews start contributing. They put up the Mishkan. I said and was Rishchodesh Nisan, right? Then a month later, once the Mishkan was erected and it stood for a month, they started to make another census, another counting. The purpose of this counting was for all those who perished during the 
during the gold calf. That was the purpose of this counting. But then there was a second counting. The second counting was on the first day of Iyar, on the first day of the next month, so on the second year. Which means, I said before, that the Mishkan was put up 11 and a half months after they went out of Egypt. That one was done 12 and a half months. Exactly. One month later, they counted them again. In the Chumash, in Bamidbar, in after Vayikra, in the next one, it talks about the count that took place on the first day of the month of Ir. That's the opening of the Chumash, of the book of Bamidbar, opens up with the counting that took place on the first day of the month of Iyar. Now here we come to a strange thing. But let me just say this. First, that counting was had the same procedure. That you couldn't... Everybody had to give a half a shekel. It was done from 20 years and up. It was the males given. What did they do with that half shekels? That they used for the communal sacrifices. So all the communal sacrifices that they used throughout the year were bought with the money that they collected from the people from that uh, from these half a shekels that they gave. And that was the the uh, the, the, the use. Okay? Now, the surprising thing is over there. So, we know, we have to say that this counting that he's talking about over here, that the Pesach says, the verse is going to say, we didn't get to that verse, but the verse says basically, in the next verse, it's going to say that you should put this money for the service of the of the of the construction of the temple. And I told you already before that it says that they used it for the construction of the temple. So this counting had to be before the construction of the temple. The other and we know that the construction of the temple took place on the first day of Nisan and the other counting took place one month later on the first day of Iyar. So we know that this counting had to be done before the construction of the temple. How do we know that, Ron? How do we know that this counting over here took place before the construction of the temple? Because when they have the money to build, the stuff to build. Because they're building. It says right. that they built with that money, they built the temple. Number one, it says here, it also says in the end of Parshish Pekudai, that they used the money that they received from this accounting, they used them to build, to build the temple. So that's, we know that this was done before the construction of the temple. We also know the date of the construction of the temple because that is written where? That's written in the Chumash. It says that on the first day of Nisan they built, they, they erected the Mishkan. We know that. We also know that the other counting took place the first day of year. It was a month later. So we know that this counting that we're talking about here and they used the money for the construction of the temple isn't the same counting that the Torah talks about over there. This counting took place before the constructions, they used the half a shekels to construct the sockets for the Mishkan from this one, as it says in Pekudei. The other one took place after the Mishkan was built, and they used those half a shekel to buy the communal sacrifices. Seems pretty easy, right? It's just one problem. One, one very astonishing problem. The amount of people that the Torah numbers here is different. Is exactly exactly, and it can't be. Same number as over there. 600,355. Over here. You count over here. 600,355 over there. Now, we counted them once from the year they were 20. 
there were no 19 years old that turned 20 in between these two countings over here so no 19 years old did the equivalent old people die in other words uh, that they were they couldn't be counted anymore I mean all of a sudden the exact number of 19 year olds that came in then the other ones died actually we don't find anybody dying until later on when they uh, sinned we don't even talk about dying we don't talk about any up to what age over here it's Everybody from 20 and up, and everybody is healthy because at the time of the Torah was given, everybody was healed, there was nobody blind, there was nobody mute, there was nobody limb, everybody was healthy, everybody was in perfect health. They were just healed. When it came out in Torah, Rashi said, they can all see, all hear, all walk, all everything. Everybody's good. So everybody's counted. 600,355. How could the numbers be the same? If it's different countings. And we just proved to you that they have to be different countings. So Rashi says, wait a minute. Now it looks like, you know, so in Rashi there's different commentaries, but it looks like in the simple text from what Rashi says, it looks like like this. Now Rashi is saying like this, that when you say you counted the 20 years old, they had to be 20 at a certain time. Let me explain. When does the year begin? Tishrei. Tishrei. What do you say? Nisan. Nisan. And you're both right. In the Torah, the Torah begins the years in the Chumash. What is the first year? It starts with the month of Nisan, the month when they exited Egypt. That's considered to be the first month. Once you went through 12 months, the next year is called what? The second year. In the Torah, when the Torah talks about the counting of the Jews, it's on the first day of the second month in the second year. That's when they were counted, the second year. Second year means on the first day of year. Second day of year, we call it the month of year. When it says the Mishkan was erected in the second year, in the first day of the first month, that's Nisan. That's the, because the new year began with Nisan. But we know when we count from when the world was created, we start counting from Tishrei. We start counting from the first day, from the first month of the year. We start of Tishrei. The age of the person, it worked almost like the cutoff that we have in school. Like anybody who was 19, when Tishrei came in, he was only 19. He didn't reach at the age of 20. He wasn't counted. But even if his birthday was in between Tishrei and Nisan, it didn't matter. We still didn't count him. Because at the cutoff, at the month, at that year when Tishrei came in, he wasn't 20 years. And that whole year, the second counting was still in that same year. There was no second year. So because that, so although it's called the second year with regards to the month of as far as the Torah calling it the second year, that's with regards to the years counting the way the Torah counts it, but not with regards to the age of the person. So that the person who turned 20, didn't turn 20 until at the time of Tishri came in, we didn't count them the whole year. And that's why the number was actually the same. The number had to be the same. If there would have been a change, it would have been a problem. Because the number had to be the same, because nobody died, everybody was alive and well, and they came out to that number 
of 600,355. Now, that was the males from 20 and above. But let's not forget, that was after those Jews that perished during the time of the Eagle. That was left over. That was what God wanted to know, how much is left after the plague. How many Jews were left over how after the plague? That is, yeah, we don't have that number. That number we have in the beginning of, of the, it just says they started with 70 and they multiplied. It doesn't say, it doesn't give you a, it doesn't give you a number. It just says he counts them all the time when they left Egypt, when they came to Egypt, but it's a different number. But it's, that's the same, that's the number here. So basically, there are hints in this part over here about the all three gifts, Rashi says. There are gifts. The verse is talking, the simple text is talking about the gifts that they gave for the sockets, that they gave for the sockets in which they built the Kesef, which it talks in Pekudei, it's talking about the, the half a shekel. This parsha isn't talking about the other counting. The other counting is talking about later on in Bamidbar, that talks about the Korbonis. And then we also have the general gifts that they gave. People can give regular silver besides this half a shekel. But as far as this, these two gifts, they had to be given in a way. The poor should not give any less, and the wealthy should not give any more. And everybody has an equal part in the construction of the temple. Can I make sense? We learned something? Yeah. yeah. Okay.